Good morning, church family. And as we continue our teaching in prayer, uh, we began last week with the heart of prayer. Well, today we conclude our week of prayer, and I want to speak to something that we touched on on Sunday night. I want to return to the Lord's Prayer. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's a kind of prayer that a child can pray and be blessed and be a blessing to others. I wonder if we can put up on the screen um, <clears throat> the Lord's Prayer here. Today's theme, I've, I've titled it Impossible Attitudes or Ultimate Themes. When you look through the Lord's Prayer, what you discover there as you dig into it is probably, to many of us, it's going to seem impossible. How could I possibly pray these things? And we'll have a look at that. Is it possible to pray these things sincerely? Or is it impossible? If it is possible, then I would put to you that the Lord's Prayer, in fact, all of Christianity in the Scriptures, presents to us the ultimate themes, the highest themes that the human mind can ever entertain, the deepest experience that the human heart could ever contain as well. Well, looking at the Lord's Prayer, you would recognize this, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You remember where this prayer comes from? We find it in the book of Luke, chapter 11, very clearly. The disciples begin there. They've seen Jesus' public ministry. They've seen him in private prayer. And they realize the connection and they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. He's delighted to teach them to pray, I'm sure. This is the model prayer he gives them. If you look at it, it's kind of divided into two parts. The first half dwells on the Father, your name, your kingdom, your will be done. It's all about God. The second half, well, you guessed it, is all about us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know the prayer. It kind of mirrors the Ten Commandments. The first four, all about God. The second, the, the, the last six, all about us. And in fact, the fourth one is like a hinge. Remember the Sabbath day. It's time with God and, and it's also focused on us. There's these two things. It also is summarized, I think, if you summarize Jesus' prayer that he gives us and you look at his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he dies, you see these two themes. The four words that Jesus prayed. Not I, but you. Not my will, but yours be done. That's the motto of the Christian, isn't it? Not I, but Christ. If you look deep into this prayer, you'll see those two themes. And the kind of impossible or glorious themes. We need to make up our mind about which. Can you actually pray, Lord, give me everything I need. I will look to you for my daily bread. Or do you struggle with, Lord, I will make sure I have everything I need for myself. Can you pray that prayer of trust? Lord, I look to you to provide for my daily bread. Secondly, 
This is a challenging one for some of us. Some of us probably find it hard to imagine forgiving some of the people that we've come across in life. Can we pray, Lord, help me, forgive me, even as I forgive? Others of us will struggle with the first part of that. Some of us struggle with allowing God to forgive us for what we have done in life. Is this becoming an impossible prayer already for some of us? Lord, forgive me even as I forgive everyone who ever sinned against me. How about the last one? I want you to really look at this one. Lead us not into temptation. When's the last time you prayed like that, sincerely? Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from every temptation. Deliver me from evil. We talk about sin sometimes, and sin can be kind of fun. Sin can be kind of enticing. Sin can be in all various forms. Sin can be pride. It can be evil done to others. It can be um, wrong thoughts. It can be all kinds of stuff that we tend to enjoy in our human nature, isn't it? How easy is it for you to actually sincerely want to walk the other way and say, God, lead me away even from the temptation. And when temptation comes, God, deliver me from this temptation. Deliver me from the evil that comes with sin. Is that a sincere prayer that you could pray? Or is this bordering the impossible? Can humans pray like this? And it actually gets... Uh, bigger than this, if you look at the first half, actually, have a look at it with me. Hallowed be your name. On Sunday night, we learned that when you are praying, hallowed be your name. What is hallowed? What's the root word for hallowed? Just call it out. Holy. Holy be your name. Holy be your name. When we come to God and we begin to pray for his holiness to be magnified, we're really asking for him and his holiness to be in us. Holiness, the holiness of God and your name. I come in that same spirit. In fact, I'm praying for his Holy Spirit to be in me. Do you want to be holy? Or is that beyond us? How about your kingdom come? Yes, he has a kingdom. And yes, he's king. Where is his kingdom? His kingdom is everywhere where he is king. Do you want him actually to be king over your life? Usually we pray this prayer and we're saying, Lord, I want your kingdom to come all around me, out there in the world. Make the world a better place. But the thing about God is his kingdom starts here. His principle is that he starts from the inside and works out. Yes, Satan starts from the outside and works in through your senses. The eyes, the smell, the taste, the touch, the hearing. Satan will work from the outside in, but God always starts at the core, the heart, and he flows out through everything. In the same way that he said this gospel will go to the ends of the earth, what did he say to his disciples? You will start in Jerusalem, and then it will go to Judea, and then it will go to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But even before it goes to Jerusalem, what did he say to his disciples? Wait for the gift 
and it will come upon you. That's how God works. He starts here. So can I pray this prayer? Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth. Start with me, God. I want your will to be done here. I want your kingness to be over my life. It's a challenging prayer. Many of us would say it's an impossible prayer, actually. But yet Jesus teaches us to pray this way. The only thing that makes this prayer possible is actually in the beginning of the prayer. Look at that first line, which we haven't looked at yet. Those two words, our Father. Only those who call him Father, only those who know him as Father, who have, who have been saved by what the Son did, only those can pray this kind of impossible prayer because God's Spirit comes in to his children and begins to transform them from the inside out, changing their desires, changing their behaviors, changing their patterns, changing our ambitions, changing us completely. How can we call him Father? That's what we celebrate today. Actually, it's what we celebrate every week when we come together. It's what we celebrate every day as Christians, that God came down. Let me just say that again. God, just think about God for a minute. Who he is, supreme, omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. God, creator of everything, speaks with his mouth and billions of life forms come to be. Light itself comes to be. These amazing things from the mouth of God, God becomes one of us. We'll never understand it. It's kind of impossible to understand. But today we remember it. First Peter chapter 1, I think it's verse 19 or 20, it says, From before the foundation of the world, Jesus was the Lamb slain. Even before God gets about creating us, He has a plan that He will send Himself, that Jesus will come as the Lamb and give His life as a ransom for us, should we need it. John chapter 1. Verses 1 to 3 says, In the beginning, God, God, the Word, was, and He created everything. In verse 14, it says, The same God, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. It's mind-blowing if you can wrap your mind around this. It's absolutely phenomenal. That God became one of you. John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God did this because He loved you. So much. For reasons I will never understand, God loves me so much that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. Verse 17. Well, actually, the end of verse 16 says that if I believe in him, I will not perish. I will have everlasting life. Verse 17 says those who receive him, those who believe, will not even have to pass through judgment because Jesus has covered their sin. Isaiah chapter 40 talks about God as, as one who can mark out the heavens with his hands, can hold the dust of the earth in his hands, can, can, you know, the oceans are like nothing to him. And in the same passage, it talks about him holding us like sheep close to his heart. The transcendent God is personal. 
Think about that. He loves us like a, a shepherd carrying his lambs. And yet he made it all. Philippians 2, this is the, the one that, that really strikes me. That Jesus, even though he was equal with God, let that sink in. He is God. He humbles himself. And he comes down, and the Bible says he is found fashioned as a man, as a servant. He becomes obedient. And it keeps going down as obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The supreme being in the universe becomes as a criminal here on earth. Why? I'll never understand it. But I know what he tells me. Because of the love he has for us. And therefore God exalts him, having humbled himself. Isaiah 53, this is actually the passage that moved William Miller so much. That he went from thinking God was distant and not an important part of his life to realizing God was someone who loved him, who had given his life for him. And William Miller, those of you who know, William Miller became the pioneer, basically began to share the Advent message that Jesus was coming. Like the forefather of, of us all here in faith, moved by these words. In fact, he was reading it at his mother's church because no one at the church there had eyesight to read. So he would go along and read for this church, these old people. But as he gets to this part, he reads it, he shuts it and sits down. He can't continue. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. These themes, I don't know of any higher themes than this. That God would give himself for me in this way. 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, lavished upon us, it says. That we, you and me, depraved sinners, cut off from God, broken for eternity, should now be called the sons and daughters of God. And that is what we are. It's actually verse 1, not verse 6. Sorry about that typo. Second Corinthians 4 says, even though our bodies are broken and they're like old clay pots and we're wasting away every day and don't we know it. You know, so many of us watching online today probably still struggling COVID and its effects. Our bodies are pretty fragile. We age, we get broken. We, there's not much to us really. But shining through us is this treasure. This treasure, think about it. This treasure that what Jesus did for you and me, we can share with others and they don't have to pay for it either. It is free. And it changes a sinner who has no hope of eternity beyond the grave. It changes their whole future. And they have eternal life. Not just eternal life, but it changes the present. They get a new purpose. They become part of a new family. They can call God, the Creator, Father. In fact, when the Spirit comes into us, Romans 8 says we can call Him personal. Terms like Abba, which is the equivalent of Dad, Daddy. I'll never understand it, but I love it. I can celebrate it with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, I have a new purpose, and so do you. You and I, having been reconciled to the Father, we get to reconcile others. 
we get to share this ministry of reconciliation. Our job in the world as Christians is to extend a big old invitation to join the family of God. He loves you. He gave his son to die for you. And if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. It starts now. And even if death comes temporarily, puts you to sleep and separates you for a moment, you will rise from that one day when Jesus himself returns in the clouds of glory because he lives. He died. He rose. He lives. He holds the keys to death. And death is now a defeated foe. And anyone who puts their faith in him has eternal life. Starts now. You can see from the pictures there and you know from the scriptures, this came at great cost. Great cost. Let me talk for a moment about this and then we're going to share the communion emblems together. I don't think this is impossible. But it is impossible for us on our own. But as Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. If you will receive Jesus Christ, reach out to him as your father, God your father, and welcome his gift, believe in his gift of eternal life to you by what he did on the cross. He says, he welcomes you into the family, new purpose, new identity, new family. Jesus, last night on earth, spent it with his disciples in the Last Supper. The themes we celebrate today were so important to him. That's how he chose to spend his last moments with his disciples. You know the story of how he shares with them the bread. He says, this is my body broken for you. And then he shares with them the wine, the grape juice, and he says, this is my blood. Think about this for a moment before we enter into the emblems. This is my blood shed for you. Blood of the covenant, he said. These emblems are quite significant. They, they connect us to God. They are symbols of his broken body, which paid the price for us. But he said it's a blood covenant. Not something to be taken lightly, but something to be received freely. That's why I guess as a church, we've always encouraged uh, parents if you want your children to participate, help them to understand that this is a significant thing. This is a blood covenant with God. This is an opportunity for you to receive him as your Lord and Savior and for you to enter into a new walk with him where his spirit comes into your heart and begins a new birth, which begins to grow flow out to your desires, your attitudes, your ambitions, your fears, your relationships, your decisions, your plans, your everything. Anyone who has made that decision, received him as Lord and Savior, can speak to him as Father, can pray the impossible Lord's Prayer as the greatest themes we can know, and can experience the very presence of God. In fact, he himself said, through the words of Paul, he said, you can enter the very throne room of grace with confidence and assurance. How amazing is this?